foot paste and delay creates. I was constantly looking at people who were old and setting good times, and I saw the marathon. Uh, and then Carlos Lopez came along, and at 37 broke the world record for the marathon. I thought, oh, that gives me lots of time. You know, I'm still only 13, 14. I got plenty of time to get good. Uh, and I kept just looking at the future and thinking, so long as I keep training, I'll get there. Uh, and now, as I approach 60, I've realised, yeah. I've <laughs> now I get the comments on Instagram and things. I realise. Yeah, I sort of have got a, a pretty good aerobic engine. I am getting somewhere now uh, and starting to pay back. But it's 50 years of training, 50 years. <laughs> That's endurance athlete Mike Trees. If you want to learn how to run easy and use that to perform better as you age, then you should listen to this episode of D-Lake Creates. Let's go. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Aaron So, AKA D-Lake. Tips and tactics, you could train like a pro. This cast to help you and faster than you could go. All the PRs, you could beat it, course records, it comes in your upcoming season. Right. Don't you agree? Endurance sports, a metaphor for life. That's that metaphor, baby. Eating clean so you can rest and sleep all night. Don't master a lot, don't master a little, just stay in the middle. Don't master all, don't master just none. Just be. just be a master of some. What is up? I'm Darren, your host of Delay Creates Running for Masters of Some. The internet's most exciting endurance sports podcast. Through self-improvement, we help serious endurance athletes master some of their health, some of their fitness, and even some of their life because it's all the same. And in being your host, you can trust me because I'm a lifelong endurance athlete that's ran a sub three hour marathon, completed an Ironman triathlon in 10 hours, and currently trying to break 16 minutes in the 5K. So I'd say I know some things about some of the stuff that we talk about. Quick warning, we use some adult language and cuss a bit. Be mindful who is around when you listen. If heart rate training confuses or frustrates you, this is the episode to clear it all up. No, seriously, Mike Trees is one of the most positive, knowledgeable, and generous endurance athletes I've ever met. He has the skill to make super complex things like heart rate training extremely easy to understand. Not to mention, he's almost 60 and runs faster than most 20-year-olds. In this episode, we answer the question of what is too easy and too hard running, talk about individualized heart rate training, and why his IMAT HR formula might be best for you, touch on the difference between aerobic, anaerobic, and ATP energy systems, get to his secret to running fast at almost 60 years old, and much more. Mike Trees calls himself uh, an athlete, a coach, but foremost, a father and a husband. I train twice a day, every day. It's just who I am. I just love doing it. That's what I need to do. I say this a lot. Life's a journey. Uh, you got to do something useful every day and you've got to enjoy something in every day. Uh, and that's about it. Don't try and get to the end of the train journey because it's not nice. He's originally from the northeast of England, grew up in Libya, Africa, but now lives in Japan. He gives away all his endurance information online and thinks coaching is one part science, one part voodoo magic, and in the middle is where the coach-athlete relationship lies. He's the co-founder of the coaching collective Triathlon Energy, and he's a true master of some generalist. Uh, check out these accolades. In the 1990s, he was the British Ironman world record holder. Uh, he's a multinational championship as of even the last few years in England and Japan. He's a sports scientist lecturer at university level, pro triathlon coach in Japan, and he's the coach, not even to, to end it all, but he's the coach of world record Ironman athlete Tim Don, and so much more. Let's get into it. Warm up complete. So you subscribe to Moffatone. Um, I'm I'm big Moffatone, Moffatone method. And is it your age minus? Uh, sorry, 180 minus your age for, or do you do you modify it? 
Okay, so we're, we're going down the rabbit hole already. <laughs> oh, this is, you know, it's funny. This isn't actually even the, the questions, but like, let's just do it. First of all, I, uh, I respect Phil Maffetto and all the research he's done and where he's come from. I also realized that a lot of his research in the early days was done on young kids in their teens and their 20s, you know, decent athletes. And I don't think it applies to the older athletes. Now, there's a lot of youngsters coming through that follow me, uh, and so his theories can sort of work with them. Uh, and, and his 180 minus age is a great starting point, and even he'll tell you that. And I, I love listening to his podcast with him talking now, and it's like, I think people take things for granted that there's a one set formula that works. All these things that as coaches we're doing, we're trying to give people a few guidelines that get them going in the right direction. So what I found was that when in the early days, when there weren't the heart rate monitors around, which is what you know Phil was saying, you'd go to a lab, you'd get tested, you find your, your heart rate, and then you'd, you'd get a base point uh, to work from. And he found that to get people going that couldn't get tested, 180 minus age was a good starting point. And then you could tweak it. But you've got to learn to understand your body. What I've found that these days, everyone has a, a smart watch of some description. Uh, you work out your maximum heart rate, and it it's not a nice thing to do, but if you're fit and healthy, you've got to put the uh, the legal bits in. So you, you check with the doctor, you're fit and healthy, safe to do it. Go out and basically run yourself into the ground over 800 meters. And the ideal is at the end of 800, you have something like a nice steep hill. You just run up until you literally can't go any further. It's totally painful, but that will find you know your maximum heart rate. Once you've got your maximum heart rate, it could be way off 180 minus age. I found that based on Maffetone principles, you could then come up with uh, your own individual maximum heart rate, an IMAT heart rate, and it's about 40 beats below that maximum heart rate. So what it's doing, it's basically adhering to Maffetone in, in his principles and the way he's worked it out. But if your maximum heart rate is way off the scale and doesn't adhere to 180 minus age, uh, you know, knowing your maximum heart rate minus 40 is going to give you somewhere in the ballpark of your maximum aerobic base uh, to run at. Uh, and so, yeah, I've modified it a little bit. Uh, and I'm not saying mine is the only way or his is the only way, but all these ways are just tools to help the runner learn a little bit more about their own body and what works for them. Yeah, well, well put. So let's not beat around the bush. What is your definition of easy training for an average listener? It's, it's, it's vague. It's really vague. Uh, well, I'm about to make it more vague. So I'm going to take a vague question and give you an even more vague answer. If it doesn't feel easy, it's not easy. So I tell everyone, go for an easy run. How easy is easy? I said, look, if it's not easy. It's not fun. You know, it's like if you go out and run and you're running around there and it feels easy, it's an easy run. Uh, and then I say, look, okay. You might be young, you might not be, you know, experienced. So if you can breathe through your nose, it's pretty much a good idea that it's an aerobic easy run. It, it, you know, some people can breathe through their nose easily. Other people have a blocked up nose. It's not that easy. But in, the general thing is, if you can get enough oxygen through your nose without much stress, it's easy. If you can chat, it's easy. If you can do mental arithmetic, it's easy. Now, this sounds simple, but you give someone a tempo run and say, what's five plus five? And I do this all the time. I'm running along. Five plus five is five plus five. Yeah, it's five plus five. Now, five plus five, <laughs> I can't come up with the answer. On an easy run, you go, yeah, five plus five, it's 10. That's simple, mate. So when you start pushing it, your body block shuts down a little bit. The brain doesn't work as well. Uh, mental arithmetic becomes tougher. Uh, so that's another little rule. But yeah. I've got to go back to this, this, the first answer. If it doesn't feel easy, it's not easy. That's good. <laughs> All right. Now, we've established that. 
What's too easy? And then what would you say is steady? Because I've seen you talk about Z1. Would that be too easy? And then Z2? And you're talking about heart rate zones, correct? Yeah. So you've got to define your terms. I mean, I'm writing on Instagram. I've got a limited number of words I can get out there. Uh, and I have to assume that some people are following you know, more than others. And I can't be defining my terms all the time. So easy. It depends on what you're going out for the run. What is your objective? If you don't have an objective, you can't define what is too easy, what's too hard, because you don't know what you're trying to get to. Uh, and that is the problem with most people. They, they want an answer without letting me know what they're trying to achieve. Which, so it's impossible to give them an answer. So the answer is nothing can be too easy depending on what you're trying to achieve. If your objective is to have the easiest run possible and not walk, then it can't be too easy because that's your goal. So who's to say you're wrong? If your goal is to run 1,500 meters in, what's well, realistic, uh, a young guy, you want to do it in under five minutes. So it's a, it's a stretch target, but it's realistic. Well, running very slow runs where just above walking all the time is going to be too easy. Uh, all the time you know it might be that you need it some of the time so uh there's no no such thing as too easy a run uh at times and there's no such thing as too hard a run at times it's getting the balance between the easy and the hard so if you're out for a recovery run yeah zone one uh, and lots of this there's so much stuff you google it on what zone one is some people say it's 50 to 60 percent heart rate some other people say no that's a little easy it needs to be 55 to 65 percent uh again i've never really thought about this in myself when i go running uh, and when i talk to my athletes it's just like go for an easy run uh, and they know what an easy run is it's just a run that you run for a set amount of time that we predetermined that you enjoy running in that run. And that's it. Is it an easy recovery run? Yeah. So if it's an easy recovery run. You can't go too slow. Uh, is it an aerobic building run, which is what people mistake with Maffetone? That's a different thing again. So what Maff's talking about with his 180 minus eight, that's the maximum aerobic zone. It doesn't mean you have to do that all the time. And this is the other problem I get with is it too hard? People will go out at MAF 180 minus age and they'll try and hold this heart rate. Well, if I was to run at my MAF pace, I'd be dead. If I ran there all the time, that's hard for me. You find actually that I was probably doing my 5K pretty much close to my MAF maximum heart rate because I, I can hold a really good, I've got a really big aerobic engine, but I become so aerobically fit that I can actually push myself quite hard. So if I'm running at my MAF uh, heart rate, it's actually too hard for me to go for an easy run. And this is what a lot of people don't quite understand. They have a little bit of knowledge, which is dangerous, but not enough knowledge to take it somewhere. Uh, and so, yeah, going back, always coming back to where you started from, there's no such thing as an easy run, uh, but you can go too hard on an easy run quite easily. That, that makes sense. Um, and thanks for explaining that. And uh, you just shed some light for me. Uh, this, this podcast, you know, while I try to help listeners, um, the, the, the listeners that, that, that are listening, um, it, it's always a selfish, uh, slightly selfish for me because I'm like, sweet, I'm learning something new from someone m much more experienced and knowledgeable. Um, you, the, you said something really interesting about Mavitone. And the, the thing with, um, with amateurs is the gap between their easy run and their race pace is so you know, depending on the race, obviously, it's such a big, you know, someone's easy run their 5K, it could be anywhere from two, a minute and a half to, to three minutes per K difference. I'm, I'm talking about per K, not uh, miles. Sorry, Americans. Um, but with Kipchoge, you know, who's running a 159 marathon, his easy run, quote unquote, or steady is like 
15, 20 seconds slower than his actual marathon pace, which blows, you know, a, a newbie runner's mind. They're like, how is that? And it's like you were saying, he's so aerobically fit. He runs 230, 250Ks a week um, building that, like, it actually is so hard on his body. And, and Moffaton actually talks about that briefly. Um, but he says, you know, I think it was uh, Mark Allen, you know, and, and all the guys he trained, Mike, Mike Pick, he goes, their aerobic engine is so fast that they actually can't run him off a tone that much. Whereas a newbie can actually run him off a tone a bit more. Um, they probably shouldn't do it all the time, but um, depending on what your objective is. So, yeah, totally, totally get that. I'm not one of those people that, you know, where my Moffaton is so damn fast. Like, I have a, my aerobic engine has built up over the past say five years, five, six years running wise. Um, but I definitely come from a speed background, 100, 200, 400, uh, jumps into 800 very late. Um, and I, I think I'm a, anaerobically blessed as I get deeper into this aerobic game. I'm like, I just don't think I have the endurance speed of you or Kipchoge or, you know, Mark Allen. Um, but who knows, you know, I still, I'm, I'm 39 and I still feel like I have, you know, a few more years before I can see my peak. Um, but you know, according to you, I could probably see my peak at 55. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. A couple of things to, to pick up on that. I would probably run the first half of a marathon at my math pace. Uh, so most people, you know, would just consider that an aerobic run. But yeah, that's that's how big my engine is. Uh, I have probably one of the lowest heart rates ever recorded. It was 27 when I was at my peak. It's now 30. Uh, uh, rest, so, resting, right? Resting heart rate? Resting heart oh, rate. Oh, wow. So <laughs> uh, another little rabbit hole to go down is when people talk of heart rates, I find it quite fascinating because if you think of heart rate uh, and you think of stroke volume, how much blood the heart puts out. So say you've got a guy, uh, and we're looking at all the models that people do. So guy number one or girl number one has a resting heart rate of 60. Uh, and they want to double their, their heart rate. So they run 120. Uh, and according to the theories, that's, you know, they're, they're 20 years old, 120, and it's an easy aerobic run, 120. Then they double their heart rate again. So all they're doing is, from the heart's point of view, it just knows how hard it's working per minute, per hour, how much blood it's pumping. So they go 60, they double it once, 120. They double it again, it's 240. They can't do that. So they can't double their resting heart rate twice because it's going to take them way off the scale. Now, at, at, now we'll say at my age now, uh, it's gone up. It's easier for maths as well. My heart rate is 30 when I wake up on the morning. So when I start running, my heart rate is usually around about 50, 55. So I'll run the first kilometer and my heart rate is somewhere between 55 and 70. Uh, and so if, if it doubles, if my resting heart rate doubles, I'm up to 60. If I double it again, it's up to 120. So you can already see how there's something with the models that doesn't quite stack up in terms of just using heart rate in each person. It's that heart rate reserve. It's like the difference between my resting heart rate and my maximum heart rate is the important thing uh, because I can actually be training at, at 90 you know, rates per minute and that's you know, uh, three times my resting heart rate. You know, Someone with 60 training at three times their resting heart rate is 180. They're actually in the red zone. They're actually killing it. You know, they're really hurting. So heart rates are individual, and that's what we need to get back to all the time. And when I'm talking with people, I keep saying, yeah, these are just models to get them started. It's super important to understand heart rates, but how it pertains to you and works for you. Uh, and I've realized that uh, it's so difficult to compare them and to come up with different models for heart rates, uh, particularly when I realize, you know, I, I don't conform to any of the models, really, with my base heart rate being so low. Yeah, wow. That very interesting point there. I think I'm on the other end where 
my resting probably a bit higher than where, you know, someone as fit as I am. But I also have a really high max heart rate. Like I'm, I can max it like 193. Whereas I should technically, you know, according to the age, 220 minus my age, my, my max should be 180, which is BS, as you know. It's, it's a starting point. Um, so I think, you know, rather than it being like this, where this is the lowest and this is the highest, I think I've just shifted mine up. So the Mofetone uh, heart rate actually doesn't apply to me. And I'm a tiny bit higher mm. than where Mofetone would say I am. Well, that's why I like the... The IMAX, sorry to interrupt, the IMAX would work perfectly for you. You know your max, you know, your, your max heart rate minus 40. Uh, in a sense, that just takes into account these Maffetone principles, but based on the fact of knowing your maximum heart rate, that, that might work a little bit better. Do that maths and see how it fits for you. That's actually it. Yeah, yeah, because I know 150, 150 is about the top, 150. And I've been there for 10 years. And according to Maffetone, I should have gone down yeah. to 140. I really love the way you explain all of that. Uh, here's here's a, a random question that I have yet to get the answers from the internet. I love your take on this. I know there's no perfect answer. But Maffetone is big on saying, you know, he goes, you can't build aerobic fitness and anaerobic fitness at the same time. I remember reading his book and I was like, oh, and he's like, don't do hard runs, you know, in your aerobic stage of the 16 weeks, you know, you're going to undo all your aerobic fitness. And I like, I believed it for the first year and I didn't touch it. And then I went to race and I was cramping and everything hurt. And I was like, what's going on? So as I've slowly realized I can, I need to incorporate very fast sprint stuff in my aerobic build period and then slowly ramp it up as I start, you know, getting towards race specific work. Is it possible to build both at the same time? Or is it, is it like weight train, you know, weightlifters where they can't, they can't lose body fat and gain muscle at the same time. Like they have to have a cut phase and a bulk phase is anaerobic and aerobic fitness. Can you do it at the same time? It depends who you ask. <laughs> no, so it depends who you ask is what you get the answer. So the theory, you know, in the sense is, yeah, you shouldn't work the aerobic and the anaerobic at the same time. But we live in the real world as well. Uh, and and I, I, found, I think that so long as you do a little bit of speed work, you're not going to take the, end off, the edge off that aerobic engine. So, yeah, I, I adhere to the principle in in principle so uh, i adhere to the principle in principle that we should do at least 10 weeks of aerobic training with no anaerobic training in there however what i also realize is that you can do some alactic work which is based on the atp system uh which for anyone who who doesn't know the atp adenosine triphosphate is the initial energy stored in the muscles that happens before we go anaerobic. So if we keep the sprint short, you know, seven to 10 seconds, take long rests between, we can get the leg speed work doing. We can actually get used to running quick without developing lactic acid. So it's not blocking the aerobic receptors and, and prohibiting the, uh, the aerobic development. So we can put that within an easy run. So I quite like doing those sort of things. But also we have to be practical that, yeah, you come off this aerobic base and need to go into racing. I don't adhere to absolutely smashing it with intervals on the track, six, four hundreds, big rest, you know, see, can you do, you know, maximum time in that aerobic peak? But I quite like the VO2 max work and, and the 5K fits that perfectly. That 15 to 20, you know, for the elites, the 15 to 20 minute zone, but basically a 50, you know, a 5K effort where you're probably running mostly aerobic the whole way. And you're just dipping in a little bit of anaerobic stuff in the last two or three K to get you to the end. Yeah, I mean, it's 
it's so marginal that yeah you, you'll be a little bit sore the next day once a week it's not going to take anything off the aerobic engine so i i've come to the conclusion that yes we try not to but i get the best results out of doing a big aerobic base but making sure there's one good solid workout <laughs> a week and there's one nice leg speed work in there a week so that that would be my take on it I like that. They, um, thank you for explaining. Um, just to define to the listeners, and it would be really interesting to um, to hear your take. So just so people know, anaerobic isn't actually just all out sprinting. That's the ATP creatine system that you were talking about. Um, creatine is actually just like five seconds um, power. Um, anaerobic is actually much larger than people. People, A lot of people think um, aerobic is easy. And anaerobic is absolutely sprinting, you know, for 20, 30 seconds up a hill. Whereas anaerobic is actually more of like the longer tempo and threshold type work. Is that, is that correct? So, and it's, and it's how long you stay there and how long your heart rate's in there. Right. Is that correct? Let, let, most people really don't understand this. The, The simplest way of explaining it is that anaerobic means without oxygen aerobic means with oxygen. And and when you run, if you run at a pace that's slow enough, you supply all the oxygen needs to your muscles as you breathe, and it's with oxygen. At short periods of time, you know, when we were hunters and gatherers, we had to escape. So we've got this fight and flight mechanism. We can survive for up to two minutes without oxygen in the muscles. Uh, And it produces energy from the stored uh, energy in the muscles. But the byproduct of that is something called lactate. Uh, and that builds up in the muscles. Uh, and so the, the problem, once the lactic builds up in the muscles, it prevents oxygen from getting into the muscles. So therefore, we have to slow down. So if you go fast for a short period, the payback, as we all know, in real terms is, wow, my legs are burning. I can't breathe anymore. I've got to slow down. And that's because we've used too much uh, anaerobic energy and built up too much lactic. But people think there's this threshold, and they call it AT work, anaerobic you know, threshold. They're on the borderline between aerobic and anaerobic. It's not a line. It's, it's a, a zone. And imagine the simplest way to explain it to people is imagine that it's snowing, but it's above freezing. And the ground's quite warm. The snow comes down. The snow hits the ground, and it melts. There's no snow on the ground. That's where most people are running. They're in that aerobic zone with a little bit of lactic building up, but the body's so efficient, it's reabsorbing it, and it's not building up. So it's snowing, but there's no snow building up. Then all of a sudden, a big storm comes down. That's you picking the pace up, and it snows really hard, and the snow starts to accumulate quicker than it can melt. So it's still above freezing. The snow is melting, but it's building up quicker than it's melting. That's the lactic building up in your muscles. So if you think of it like that, it's a little bit easier to explain. There is no one line. It's not, I'm aerobic, I'm anaerobic. It's a gray area. Uh, and in general, in base training, we want to keep as far away from that as we can. Uh, and if, when you're doing anaerobic work, you obviously want to go over that line and work it as much as we can. And the idea is that we become more efficient uh, and can run at a quicker pace without going anaerobic. Uh, and so that's the point of doing training where you, you work, work this threshold. You try and, on a graph, deflect the graph to the right so we can run at a faster pace, but still stay aerobic. So I hope that explains it a little bit. Very much. I love the story about <laughs> that. I love that analogy with the snow. That's, that's very, very visual. Very good one. Let's go a bit back into your past. Um, how did you get into endurance sports? Feel free to tell me a story. Uh, I, I'm always, I always love stories. You have good ones. I have too many stories. Uh, I'm going to, I keep being told I should write a book. Uh, Basically, ad break. 
This episode was brought to you by me, D-Lake Coaching. We show you as you get older how to perform better in health, fitness, wellness, endurance sports, and life. We're all getting older, so rather than being like most humans on the earth and declining, why not be better, stronger, smarter, faster, and more wise than the 10 years ago version of yourself? Our NLP trained coaching experience will help you live your best life through habits and intentional decision making. Go to dlatecreates.com slash coach or email us talk at dlatecreates.com, spell the normal way, to book a free consultation call today. And back to the show. How did you get into endurance sports? I have too many stories. Uh, basically, I was always beaten in the sprints. Uh, my mum, just to keep me quiet, said, oh, you better at longer distance. Uh, and so I got into it because my sister was a very good runner. Uh, and she was she actually broke the world record for squat thrusts once. Uh, and she did 120 in a minute but was too shy to actually get the Guinness book to come around and get it ratified. But she was a super athlete. Uh, so anyway, I held her hand and went to the running club. Uh, and uh, as happened with her, she got bored and moved on to other things and started doing cricket, football, hockey. Uh, and I just stayed at the running club uh, and sort of didn't, didn't get out of it uh, and just kept thinking, I'll, I'll be better when I'm older. And the funny thing was, I was constantly looking at people who were old and setting good times. And I saw the marathon, the average, you know, athletes around in the 28s. Uh, and then Carlos Lopez came along and at 37 broke the world record for the marathon. I thought, oh, that gives me lots of time. You know, I'm still only 13, 14. I got plenty of time to get to get good. Uh, and I kept just looking at the future and thinking, so long as I keep training, I'll get there. Uh, and, and that's how I stuck with it. Always like looking at the future and thinking, yeah, if I keep working at this, I'll get somewhere. Uh, and now as I approach 60, I've realized, yeah, I've, now I get the comments on Instagram and things. I realize, yeah, I sort of have got a, a pretty good aerobic engine. I am getting somewhere now uh, and starting to pay back. But it's 50 years of training, 50 years. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's so good. That's just, I love that frame of, you know, the, I have time. I have time. And, you know, a lot of people, they don't think they have time. It's a, what is it? Zoom out in the macro and zoom in on the micro. So focus more on your day to day. And, you know, like, don't, don't worry about the future. The future will come. And, you know, like, we, you do have time. Obviously, life is short uh, for some people, but most people, the majority of people aren't dying tomorrow. So, uh, you know, like, really thinking about tomorrow and the day after and next year and next, next decade is probably the best. Like, you know, we, we've spoken a bit about the theories behind it all, but a lot of new runners, they come in, they don't know exactly what to do so what do you think is the biggest issue that new and experienced runners deal with in in particular tracking their metrics the biggest issue is a little bit of knowledge is dangerous so everyone has a little bit of knowledge but really don't understand the bigger picture so the bigger picture is forget the heart rate monitor forget the watch forget everything it's what are you trying to achieve uh, are you trying to achieve running just for fun? Do you just want to run with your friends and be sociable? Do you want to be world champion? Do you want to, do you want to finish a marathon? Do you want to finish a marathon in a set time? Do you want to run a 1500? You need to know what your goal is, why you're doing it. And most people sort of, when I ask them, they haven't really thought about this. Uh, and so that's the first problem. The second problem with all this, they suddenly, we then define their goals and they say, yeah, I want to run, I'm going to say this just simply, I want to run a sub three hour marathon. 
say, okay, that's a challenging goal. Where are we now? Let's look at the starting point and how do we get there? Before we even get onto any metrics. Then I say to them, this is what we'll need to do. The next thing is we need to fit this into your life cycle. So there's no point in thinking, how are you going to train and do everything if you've got a sick mother you have to look after uh, and work, or if your job is 12 hours a day. So everything has to fit in. We have to look at all the external factors playing. Are you a student that has to pass your exams first? Then we might say, okay, that's more realistic. You've got to get through those exams. So maybe the marathon isn't so good now. Maybe let's look at something simpler uh, and get a different goal. So we then define our goal and what's realistic within their social, academic, and financial uh, lifestyle. And so it can fit into a daily pattern. Then we can come to, do they need a, a watch? Do they need to start looking at the metrics and where they're going? So we, we start to look at how fit they are, where they need to go. And I, I think you don't need that watch yet. You, if, as you said right at the start, I don't know if it's going to be cut out or not, but the point is, you know, they, when, when they start training, there's so much that they just have to run and they're going to get quicker. So my thing is just get them running, but also get them running at a sustainable level that they're not going to be running for three weeks and then injured and miss three weeks. So let's get a sustainable build-up pattern. Uh, and then let's start adding complexity along the line. So it never gets easier. They just get more in, in tune with their own bodies and able to cope with more work and more metrics and more knowledge. So I don't want to be saying, let's have a look at your cadence to a, to a runner who's just starting. I'll just get them to run. And I'll happily look at their cadence and say, well, oh, it's near, near enough, there or thereabouts. Let's forget about that one for now and look at something else. Uh, are they overstriding? Are they they're landing really badly? Let's work on, on some form things we need to work on. Let's look at the most important things. So the metrics come last. Uh, too many people are into IT these days. They're into the gadgets. And I, to be honest, I love them as well. I love looking at it. But it's just for me, it's a fun little thing that I like looking at. It's not serious. And I posted about how smart watches give me a VO2 max of 70. Well, that just confuses most people because I'll tell them to do an aerobic run and the metrics on the smartwatch actually don't count aerobic runs to build up their VO2. They, they just count zone three. They just look at the heart rate and say, have you been in zone three for how long? Yes, your VO2 max is going up. Have you been in zone one too much? Oh, your VO2 is going down. Uh, so they often don't understand how the metrics work on the smartwatches. And it, it, it confuses them. Uh, and the, the smartwatches totally overestimate the metrics. It gives me one of 70, for example. Whereas when I had a, uh, a VO2 of 70, I was running 345 for the 1500 meters. Uh, and 70 is actually classified as an, a sub-international runner. So you're on the borders of just about getting international status running, which is what I was. Uh, Derek Clayton at a VO2 max of 69 broke the marathon world record. So there's so much in these metrics that are meaningless, but interesting. Uh, and but I think the main metric to have a little bit of an idea on it is heart rate, just to understand it, the way you're going. That's the first one to get into, uh, if I had to pick one metric, uh, and, and start to learn about your body and your heart rate. You, you spoke about staying healthy in, uh, in kind of your answer to what metric to, to focus on. You were like, just, you know, be healthy. What, how do we keep you healthy and not injured after three weeks? Um, you're hitting almost 60 years old, you know, at the time of this recording, and you're, you're just crushing it, I think, personally, with all your, your accomplishments. Thank you. No worries. What's the, the one secret that keeps you motivated and, and healthy and injury-free? I think that's an inherent, it, it's nature and nurture. I think just this desire to achieve is just inherent in me. 
every day I wake up, I want to run. Every day, I just want to work on improving something. Uh, and so when I was younger, I just wanted to run as fast as I could. Uh, and, and it's another one that I, I quote a lot. It's, it's train smarter, not harder. And as I was a youngster, I just trained harder and harder uh, and got myself into a hole, got glandular fever uh, and got sick uh, and was out for a year or so. Uh, and then as I got older, I reinvented myself as a triathlete. I got a, a new lease of life. I never made it as a runner. Uh, because I tried sort of almost too hard. Uh, and I also parted a little bit, which is another story, another rabbit hole. But uh, I had a bit of a bad reputation for, for drinking. So that once I got into triathlon, I reinvented myself and thought, I'm going to get it right. And I, I started listening to my body. Uh, and the, the first thing I did was, the first year I got it wrong, by the way. I saw all the pros were training 30 hours a week. I thought, well, 30 hours a week, that's it. I'm a pro now. I've just got this professional contract. I'm, you know, I'm Mr. It. I've made it. So I, I had then added up all the hours I was doing at the end of the year and found out that actually when I averaged up, I was only training 13 hours a week. And so I thought, okay, let's adhere to the principle that the first principle of training, 10%. So we added 10% on and then still being a bit young, I added a bit on for, you know, uh, for measure and I think I put up 15% the following year so I'm, I'm up from you know 13 hours a week to 15 hours a week but because I'd built all my training principles around that I did 15 hours a week got through that and I smashed it uh, I won the Japanese national triathlon championships in, in those years I, I got you know bonuses I, I basically did really well I was really lucky in a lot of races uh, uh, and people I raced, I managed to, as I say, cherry pick and pick a few people. And it got me established. I got known. And then I, I started realizing I was training smarter. And then and the more I got into it, then that's when I really started using my physiology. I went to a place called Scuba University and worked with their research and physiology department and started really trying to hone in on, on the new thing that was coming out there, heart rate. How can I help this to make me recover better, train more? And it just that desire constantly to improve. And it's just kept going all my life. Towards the end of my career, I'd been racing for Japan because that was the Olympic rules then. And, uh, but unfortunately, I'm not, I'm not Japanese. I don't have black hair and brown eyes. So the odds of me going to the Olympics for Japan were pretty slim. Uh, and so I, I decided that I'd like to end my career racing for Great Britain. And this was when I was getting towards 40. So I had to go back to the UK. I went back to the UK uh, for education for life. Uh, missed a couple of years, got on the British team uh, and raced elite uh, duathlete. My swim wasn't good enough those days, but I got up to second in the world as an elite duathlete in the pro division at the age of 42. Uh, uh, and that was my best ever ranking. And so I then realized that you can still achieve great things uh, as you get older. And so as I got older, I then started, how can I start slowing down the slowing down? Uh, and that's what's got me hooked. And that's what I love passing that knowledge on to other people, that there's a way of slowing it down. Uh, and as you get older, you, you might not add you know, uh, years to your life, but you can add life to your years. So I want to be running until the day I die. I might not live longer than anyone else, but I don't want to be in a wheelchair. I don't want to be overweight and ill uh, just through negligence of, of letting myself you know, rust out. So uh, I, I'm full of cliches you know, that... I want to keep working, training smarter, uh, not harder. And I want to wear, you know, I'd rather wear out than rust out. But having said that, I don't even want to wear out. I want to see how I can preserve this body so I can keep doing this for as long as possible and having fun. Uh, and uh, 
to answer your question, I just have fun every day. I, I look forward, I focus on each day and what fun bit I'm going to do in each day. And actually, we even sit down the table at night sometimes and say to my, my daughter, my wife, what did you do that was fun today? So we remind ourselves that we've had fun. You know, what did you do that was shit today? You know, what was bad? Okay, let's forget that. But we've got to remind ourselves so we don't do it again. Uh, and so I enjoy every day uh, and get up every day. I look forward to getting up every day and training and living. That's beautiful. That, that's, uh, you, you, your story is, is, is very Forrest Gump. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you've, you've done a lot. And when you, when you look at it and you zoom out, you're like, oh, my goodness, look at how much you've done. And it's, it's, just, it's just amazing. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to strive for that. Uh, I keep telling people younger than me, I'm always like, I'm old. Um, and, and then, you know, like com- compared to you, I'm not saying you're old, but it's like I still have a lot more to learn and more to do. So, so thank you for, for sharing all that. And thank you for um, inspiring me at, at the minimum. No, no worries. <laughs> is there anything else you want to? Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say in general that we didn't cover? And also, uh, where can people find you and, you know, talk about your coaching? So uh, I, I, it's a funny story. So I, I actually had a distribution business with my wife and I, and we, we, introduced, we, we had brands in, in Japan and the UK. It was quite a big, successful business. Uh, and one day we both woke, woke up and said, you know, what do we really want to do? And I, you know, she said she wanted to do acupuncture. Uh, and I said, well, look, I just love coaching. So we decided that's what we really want to do. So we, we sold the business. We got out of that uh, about five years ago now uh, and uh, got back into this. Uh, and then I was with, with my son and uh, he was in New Zealand training and he said, Dad, I said, what are you doing? He said, Dad, I've just got onto this Instagram thing and there's a girl here. She actually gets paid uh, for wearing things and posting on Instagram. I said, oh, I'll have to do that. I need to promote my uh, my new coaching business. And he said, look, Dad, he said, it's all new technology. You wouldn't have a clue what to do. <laughs> and I said, marketing is marketing, you know, as long as you've got something to say, it, it'll work. So I, I then got onto Instagram as a platform and I sort of stuck with it. Uh, and I just put out posts on there and write on Instagram, use that as my main tool to promote me. And I've got, I don't actively look for clients. I've got enough people contacting me uh, that I'm happy with the numbers I've got. You know, uh, I, I do take on new clients from time to time. I work with young coaches as well and introduce them to coaches. So we've got a great successful business and we're really happy with where we're at. Uh, and that's all via Instagram. I tend to put most of my training on Strava. Uh, I, I have it private, actually, and then uh, send, send things through, not to hide what I'm doing, but just I hate seeing Strava accounts where warm-up two minutes comes on, you know, <laughs> three minutes. This is, so I, I tend to siphon through and just and sometimes I forget to post, but uh, I, I put my stuff on Strava if people want to see what I'm doing. I'm not, not hiding anything with my running. Uh, and then what I've done is my son, uh, he's followed my, my footsteps. He's on Instagram as well. I send links to him. Uh, he's uh, coach Tommy uh, NRG. Uh, and he's, he does more personal training, uh, a lot of running stuff, uh, was a very good triathlete as well. And we, we're just actually doing, this is the PR bit, we're just doing, because I get so many people asking for coaching, and I, I don't have, there's one thing, it is an economic cost that, that is, is quite a lot of money for a lot of people. Uh, and I don't have the time to coach everyone. Uh, and so that's why I put things on there for free. But people want more and they say, where can I get more information? In April, we're going to launch a whole book of e-booklets that we're going to sell via the website. And if we can put a link to the website in the notes after this, it'd be awesome that people can click onto the website, uh, which, which would be fantastic. Uh, and they'll be able to buy for a uh, win pounds in the UK, uh, a five at a time, 
uh, a good 16-week booklet that will give them how to train for a marathon, how to train for a 5K. We're going to do it in both miles for the Americans who haven't caught up to the real world. We're going to do it in metric for the rest of the world. We're going to do it in kilometers as well. We're going to do all times so it can be from beginners right the way through, uh, from really easy to really advanced. Uh, and it'll it'll give the terminology, it'll explain it, and it'll break it down week by week. And what I'll, we're also doing is, if you get stuck with saying, just contact me and Tommy, and we can give you pointers to help you. We're, we'll not be personal coaches, as in we can't talk to you all day, every day, like we would with the personal coaching. But we want people to feel that they're bought into a system where they're getting some advice and some help, and they just haven't just downloaded something, and they don't really know how it applies to them. So... I've been so much demand for that. That's my my sort of sales pitch. That's what we've been doing from April. Uh, and uh, everyone will be able to get a training like a personal coach at a, at a reasonable cost at a five a time. So that's what we're, we're going to be launching from April onwards. I like that. That's that's awesome. And it's always a good problem to, you know, have too much business. But I like that you're using technology to scale scale yourself. Yeah. So it's just run.nrg. If you type in Mike Trees, I think you'll get Mike Trees in there. Um, the, the the Instagram algorithm, search algorithm is pretty good to uh, to find you. Yeah. So definitely check him out. Thank you for your time. Next section. Let's get to know our guest a bit more with the fun cool down segment called <laughs> the five. Five. Furious Fast and Furious Fantasy. I'll be up in the gym just working on my fitness facts. Five Fast and Furious Fitness Facts. That's five Fs too. I really like that. Uh aka get to know your local corner store master of some. Because you know we're just hanging out at the corner store. And you're like, I want to know more about you. This is what this this podcast uh segment is for. All right, here we go. So yeah, just answer these really quick. Just a few few words, one sentence. It's supposed to be like rapid fire, kind of fun, kind of kind of quirky. Here we go. As you realize, you don't get quick answers off me. You get long answers. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, some people end up, you know, it, 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 there's no stress. Um, but do, do whatever you want. All right. If you had to pick one thing to focus on for training for a half marathon, would it be heart rate with a strap? Pace or power? Pace, every time. The first time. All right, number two. Sum up your first running race in one sentence. Fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> I better, I better uh, fill, explain why. Uh, I was nine years old and uh, Andy Lawrence won the race. I think he was national champion, top three in the country. I did 2.36 from 800 and he went very close to two minutes. So I was pretty much 200 meters behind and I think I was last by 100 meters. So I started running from a base of thinking I was crap. Uh, so for people who think there's no hope, yeah, it, it was, you know, it was a long, slow journey, but I kept going. <laughs> and that was before all the self-help, you know, Instagram quotes and stuff and, and books. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, number three. Who is your favorite runner or cyclist, dead or alive, or triathlete? Triathlete um, that you would that you would want to do. Sorry, that you would want to do a one hour easy run or bike with. So it's just one person, any person that you want to just train with. Yeah, I, I've thought about this. I think it would have to be Arthur Lydiard. 
uh, he was a coach, but also a runner. He practiced what he preached. He did what I do. It's like, I love running and I've got to maximize what I do. I want to maximize what my athletes could do. He did the same. Uh, and his principles were just solid down to earth principles that, you know, Jack Daniels, you know, uh, quotes him, you know, Phil Maffetone will quote him. Most modern scientists, you know, even co in his training and most modern scientists would base their principles on stuff that, uh, Arthur Lydiard developed. If you don't know him, look at Arth- look up Arthur Lydiard oh, online. Nice. Absolute guru. Uh, and most of the aerobic stuff, you know, that we we follow now came down to him. So I'd love to go for a run with an hour with him uh, and, and pick his brain. Yeah, wouldn't we all? Number four, your least favorite race. Uh, distance. Least favorite race. Right, let, 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 least favorite let, distance. Let's be, let's be specific. Least favorite running race distance. There we go. Uh, the marathon. Oh, why? Uh, why? I, I have to tell you why. So, I, uh, you know, won the British 100, you know, won the uh, the university's 1500 meters as a child. I was, wasn't so bad at that. I had the British record for the Ironman, uh, for triathlon. So, I've done distances all the way up. But I only turned to the marathon recently just because I thought, well, I've not done it really as a standalone, you know, marathon. And my back, I had a back operation five years ago now, uh, and I've got lost a disc. And what happens is I can trog along at, at a slow pace for me uh, for three hours, you know, and, and have no problems. I can do a 10K uh, and I'm okay. But when I get to the half marathon, I notice I get pins and needles and twinging down one leg. Uh, and the inflammation from the back, it, it causes the, the, the nerves touch and it affects the muscles. And I can get to about 30K with the marathon and just everything falls apart. Uh, and uh, coming just down the leg, I just have some neural problems. Uh, and so it's not just a physiological problem. It's, uh, well, it's not just heart and lungs training. It's just the whole uh, physical structure of my body. So I'm still trying to work out how I can run a sub three hour marathon, which I, I should be able to do that tomorrow uh, without the body falling apart. Uh, and and I, I seem to fall apart before I get to the finish line. So that's my goal is to get to the finish line before I fall apart. So the marathon is my hardest race. I'm, I'm sorry that that's happening. I can only imagine how difficult that is, but it sounds like a good challenge. Sounds like you're, you're up for this challenge. <laughs> I, 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 it, it, I get sidetracked. So I was running one day uh, and I was actually breaking the master's records uh, at 52, 53. And then my back went uh, and I literally couldn't use my left leg. Uh, and then eventually I did an operation. Uh, and uh, my wife said, most people would be uh, uh, depressed. And what I did is I just woke up the next day and said, okay, we were in race mode. Now we're in rehab mode. Okay, what do I need to do? I need to see you know, doctors, specialists. I need to work on the core. I need to keep the aerobic system going. Uh, while I'm rehabbing. So the reason I came back from the injury was <laughs> I used to get the, the disabled seat on the train to the swimming pool because I was on crutches and couldn't walk. I would then put the crutches by the side of the pool and swim. Uh, and I decided it wasn't going to make the back any worse. And my back hurt whether I was lying in bed taking painkillers or whether I was swimming. So I was going to be hurting whatever. So I thought, well, we may as well keep swimming and doing that. And constantly just looking how to go forward uh, and, and set up the position for when I knew I would rehab the back. Uh, and the surgeons I went to, they said, yep, we can put a, a titanium plate in your back and you'll have 60% movement. I said, no, that's not good enough. I need 100% movement. I want to run fast. And one surgeon we walked to, he said, look, I can do this. 
it, it's not 100% that it, you're probably going to have problems because there's no, you've got no disc in there and there's no titanium structure to hold it back. You need really strong core and you need to work on it. Uh, and so I, I obviously worked on the core. I said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do whatever. And so I then had a plan to get fit again. So my mindset is, is constantly just work with what you have and set a goal and work towards it and you, you can be happy uh, uh, and you can achieve that goal. So my goal was to run. Uh, and the first goal when we had the operation was how can I get out of hospital? He said, well, you got to walk. So we had to achieve those things and then to run and to get on. So yeah, set yourself little goals and, and be happy. So uh, that's what I did. Sorry, I keep forgetting the questions and going down rabbit holes on my own. <laughs> no, that's a great story. I was trying to actually hear the story about how you injured yourself. Um, we said it in the warm up earlier, but uh, no, no, the injury actually with the back was I was in the, the very first World Cup triathlon that was televised globally. And the camera crews hadn't quite worked out how to do the covering. And basically, they knocked me off the bike. I was doing uh, 50Ks an hour on the bike, uh, and they were filming, and they just went straight into me. The cameraman was filming, and the, the driver didn't see me, and they just, bang, took me out. Uh, and the doctors, when I went to hospital, uh, I chipped a bone in my neck and my lower back, and they, they said, you're young, but this will come back to bite you in the bum when you get older. And it literally did. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so sorry. Oh. It took, it took, no, no, I, I, I never feel sorry. Everything happens for a reason. You know, it, it happened, it happened. And then you just get on and work with, don't feel sorry for what you have. Just work out how you can maximize that situation. Because if you feel sorry, then you're going to be negative and sad. So you then say, this is what it is. How can we work the best with what we have? That, that's that's phenomenal advice and uh you know i need to listen to that more and and more people do all right here we go number five you're living internationally in japan uh originally from england so i know japan isn't really as far as oppressed goes but you know there are minorities there you're a minority so you you see how it is you've been there for for a very long time what, what do you think one thing that the world can do to better include minorities it's a very very big question it's a, it's a big question and I, i'm glad you asked it so being a uh, uh, Caucasian from England, I hadn't, in the north of England, hadn't really appreciated racism at all uh, when I came here. Uh, and then I saw, and then I lived in Japan, and it wasn't racist, it was just, it's an insular country and we, we looked at outsiders. And then I saw the film Mr. Baseball uh, with Tom Selleck, uh, and he was in, in Japan playing baseball, washed out. Uh, and he said, wow, look at these problems, this is so racist. Uh, and uh, and a black guy said to him, you know, he said, welcome to my world. That's what it's like being black in America now. Uh, and Tom Selleck was this white uh, sort of European heritage, you know, Caucasian. Uh, and then coming to Japan made me aware of, of racial problems and things. And so what my two things are that, that I suggest is if people travel more and make friends around the world, you don't see color, you don't see race, you just see people that you want to be with and you enjoy being with uh, and, and have common links. And it, it makes it really hard if, you know, if I had a, a guy who cycled to Iran and he's got so many friends, he said, it makes it really hard for me to hate Iran when I know how great Iranian people are. It's just... The, the government in there at the moment that, you know, we have problems with, for example, or we disagree with ideologically. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I grew up in Libya and I've traveled a lot. So I, my first thing is the more travel you do, the more it opens up your, your, your mind to understand things. And the other thing that I do is I see a lot of people who do travel who then say, oh, this is crap. This is not like I have in England. They don't make beer here like they do in England or they don't do this. 
what I, me and my wife make a point of doing is we try and just talk about the good things in Japan in England and the good things about England in Japan as opposed to the bad things. So we say Japanese cherry blossoms, awesome, or this. We don't talk about how, you know, people are living in, you know, small apartments compared to where they're in England. Uh, whereas in England, we'll say the great thing in England is we have these great big gardens, it's great, or we have more free time for work. People in Japan work a lot. So we try and just introduce ideas and things that we can help make positive changes in Japan. And when we go back to England, we introduce ideas and things that can help make positive changes back in the UK. Uh, and so, again, it's that positivity uh, that we do. Uh, and then you'll see on my Instagram, people say, I didn't realize Tokyo was so green. All my pictures are taken in Tokyo. Well, I don't, I deliberately don't take pictures of me running past, you know, factories and, and build up areas. I try and get to nice areas to show off the nice things. So uh, that's how I do it in my way. Everyone has a different way of doing it. But uh, that's, that's my approach. Uh, try and travel a lot more and just talk about the positives of each country, not the negatives. One last question. You do quite a lot of things in the endurance world. You have, uh, you've got your branch, uh, all the energy in RGs, as we talked about, your coaching that you have, your social media, your own running. I don't know if you cycle. Um, I, I actually, you still cycle. I see that uh, yeah. on your Strava. Here with Master of Some, it's whole, the whole thing is mastering some things. And I actually like to challenge people like you and myself and say, what's one thing you can focus on? So your question is, What's one thing that's going to go back in the past? If you could go back to your 30-year-old self, uh, what's one thing you would tell yourself to, to focus on more? Yeah, training smarter, not harder. So it, actually, it was around about 30 that I got that. It was the, uh, it was the young kid, the 10-year-old the runner. I, would, I just wanted to do everything as hard as I could, train harder uh, and, and train more. So, you know, that was when I went to... I, I achieved one or two things, but generally I trained too hard and got sick. Uh, I went to uh, LA and ran there for a year. Uh, I was running 140 miles a week uh, because that's what everyone was doing back then. Uh, I got a thing called chondromalacia patella, which was quite a big thing back then. It was a six weeks operation and it, took, it finished my running career. Uh, and so just too much uh, and just not really being smart enough. Uh, and so the, the thing I tell a younger version of me it is, is think uh, and train smart. You don't have to do more. You just have to think about what you're doing and how it applies to you. To find out more about Mike Trees, his coaching plans, and Darren's heart rate experiments, go to the show notes episode description. And as always, if you want to perform better as you age, don't master a lot, don't master a little, just stay in the middle. Don't master all, don't master none, just be, just be a master of some. Add break. Is the health and fitness internet too much sometimes? Too many conflicting articles and videos that confuse you on how to train and eat right? Or you don't have time to just read and watch everything about, I don't know, the new trends on carb cycling for trail running. Don't worry, we'll take care of all that for you. Sign up for our free email newsletter, 3 Thing Thursday. We'll put three perfectly curated and created things in your inbox for better living and training. Go to delaycreates.com slash TTT. We do the hard time consuming work and scour the health and fitness internet's deepest and darkest corners. This is so that every Thursday you have a piping hot new email with the latest and coolest tips, tricks, tools, tactics, and skills. All so that you can train and live consistently to do dope shit in your next endurance event. If you sign up now, you can receive my quick guide on how to get healthy, stay fit, and use data to create habits that last a lifetime. 
That's delatecreates.com slash TTT to be inspired and motivated on the regular. Time. Time is a resource no one can make more of, so we appreciate you taking precious time out of your day to listen this far. Our goal is to show the world how to live better through running, cycling, and triathlon. The episode and many others have a transcription. Go to the show notes description to find out more. This was produced in Sydney, Australia, and I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal of the Eora Nation, who are the traditional custodians of this land. I pay my respects to the elders, past, present, and future. I recognize their continuing connection to the land, waters, and culture. These lands were stolen and sovereignty was never ceded. If you like this episode, again, we'd highly appreciate it if you go on whatever app you listen to and make sure to follow d Creates Podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Acast, and a bunch of others. And if you're feeling real loose, a rating, review, or share of this episode to anyone you know that would be into something like this would be amazing. The more people that hear about us, the doper stuff we can do to then help other people. And if that virtuous cycle continues forever, we would always be grateful to you. If you have any questions, concerns, suggestions for the episode of hell, you want to be on the show, hit us up. The best way is to email talk at delaycreates.com. We're also on the socials, mainly Instagram at delaycreates, or you can hit us up wherever you can find us. Last, this episode of music were created and produced by Podpaste and myself. So if you like any of the music, you can add it to your device playlist by going to delaycreates.com forward slash music. Don't worry if you didn't get all that. There's a link in the show notes description. Thank you again so much for listening. Peace.